The following is a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management. Broadcasting live from the Santa Lucia Highlands through the heart of the Casterville Artichoke Fields, westward to the Elkhorn Slough, and south to the rugged Big Sur coastline, you're listening to What's the Plan? A weekly discussion with local thought leaders about the future of Monterey County. And now, here's your host, Mr. Paul Wyant. Good afternoon, everyone. We have a great show for you today featuring not one, but two guests. In the first half of the show, we'll be speaking with Jake Reisdorf of the Carmel Honey Company. And in the second half of the show, we'll be speaking with Richard Bates of the Fire Safe Council for Monterey County. But first, let me remind you that if you can't listen on Saturdays at 1.30 here on Power Talk, you can listen to us anytime on podcast platforms like iTunes or Spotify. And of course, you can always go to our website, whatstheplanmonterey.com and listen there. Jake Reisdorf is the owner and operator of the Carmel Honey Company. He has won numerous awards, including the CSUMB Startup Challenge winner, Young Beekeeper of the Year, and he has been featured in the New York Times. His website is carmelhoneycompany.com. Jake, it's great to have you on the program. And uh, my first question is, can you tell us a little bit about growing up in Carmel and what led you to beekeeping and the honey business? Yeah, so um, it really all started, at least my interest with bees, uh, the county fair uh, when I first saw bees um, and that kind of got me interested in them and got me uh, interested enough to actually take a course on beekeeping and from that I actually was uh, in the fifth grade during this time in elementary school uh, and my teacher assigned us a project he wanted us to think about the future and what we wanted to be when we grow up so everybody got assigned different jobs people got assigned to be doctors dentists a lot of people think I got assigned to be a beekeeper but I actually got assigned to be a website designer believe it or not and from that uh, I decided to take it above and beyond and not just talk about what website designers do, but also build a website. So I went on GoDaddy and built a website for just 99 cents. Uh, and I had to have a topic for my website. So I decided on bees because uh, I'd just taken a course on bees and it just kind of all worked out. So when I presented my uh, to my class, to my friends and peers, everyone was like, oh my gosh, can I buy some of your honey? <laughs> so I was like, whoa, you actually would buy my product? And they'd be like, yeah, totally. And uh, so from there, I started keeping bees and just you know small time um, you know selling to my friends at my school uh, and then we moved up started selling at farmers markets mm. and different events uh, wine events and that sort of thing just around and then from there it just kind of snowballed into this crazy business wow let's talk a little bit about some of those things so if I if I uh, I'm a 10 year old or a 12 year old and I and I want to get a hive like did you go into YouTube and figure out how to build it yourself or what did you do there yeah so at that time I was looking up YouTube videos uh, just you know about how to keep bees, but you really have to be able to do it, like get out there and do it to learn anything about it. Because it is very different actually going out and doing it than it is just watching a video on doing it. So I started going to local meetings, conferences, uh, learning about bees. There were speakers, I would talk about just what's happening with the bees during the time, uh, and also how to keep bees, just um, basic courses talking about how, you know, what to do if this happens, what to do if that happens. And then after that, actually, I wanted to be 
these conferences, I was talking to a beekeeper and he said, hey, I'm going to go and remove a hive actually from underneath somebody's house, underneath a shed in the back of their house. Mm-hmm. Um, if you come with me and help, you can have the bees. I was like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I'll be there. <laughs> so I, I showed up and helped him pull these bees out from underneath this uh, the tough shed. And that was my first hive. So the hives I've seen always have screens where the honey collects and everything in their wood boxes. So if I've got a, a natural beehive from under a tough shed, say, how do I get them to seed or build the hive inside the box? How does that work? Yeah. So usually in like a natural hive, they're just going to have their comb hanging down from inside the tree or whatever alcove they build it in. Uh-huh. And what we do is we take that comb out and rubber band that actually into frames, into the wooden kind of racks that go inside the boxes. Mm. Now the boxes are very simple. They're just basically boxes with little alcoves cut out on each side so the frames can kind of sit in there. And they're spaced perfectly apart so that the bees don't build like comb in between um, the two frames. And so once we have this rubber banded in, we put them inside the box and eventually we will kind of like work them over to foundation frames, Mm -hmm. which means that there's like a little kind of waxy plastic piece in between in these wooden frames that the bees build off of. And it's kind of like a um, plan, like instruction plan for the bees to build. And that's how you kind of get that nice, neat, orderly rows of honeycomb inside the hive. So now if you want to build, okay, so you got your first hive going. So you got all the different kinds of bees in that one. Now you want to start up a second hive. Can you make a queen bee from like a worker bee or do you, how, how would you get that second hive going? Yeah, so during that time for me, um, it was just going out and collecting more bees and collecting another hive. Um, you can also buy hives as well, which we did um, at the very beginning. We bought set nukes of bees and we would put those guys into boxes. Though right now, how we actually make a new hive, like you were talking about with the queen, is you do splits. So you take a box of bees, right? And you split them in half. You find the queen, keep her in one half, and the other half of the bees you move into the new box, into a new box. You then buy a queen. Usually you buy them from Hawaii or Chico because those are the two main queen uh, producers. Yeah, so Hawaii or Chico because of the climate. And so what you do is you take one of those new queens and you'd be able to insert that into the other half of the bees. Now, there is like a, a chance that they won't accept her, but usually it's pretty good. Um, and she will take over the hive. Usually she's already mated, uh, so she's able to start laying eggs right away. Can queens be made? Because I've heard that some bees can convert from whatever they are to a queen. Is that Does that happen? So there's mainly, there's three casts inside the hive. There's worker bee, the all-female. They're the ones that you see out and about on the flowers. Uh, They're the ones who defend the hive. They're the ones who um, manage the hive. Pretty much the ones that are in charge. Um, There's the queen bee. The queen, um, there's only one queen inside each hive. Uh, and she lays up to 1,500 eggs a day, uh, so quite a bit. And then there's the drones, which are the males inside the hive. Uh, they pretty much only have two jobs, which is to eat honey and mate with the queen. <laughs> That's it. And they actually get kicked out during the winter time because they eat too much. There's no, they don't have any use. So to make a queen bee, what they do is they take a worker bee egg that's about one to two days old and put it into a specialized cell. So usually on a frame, right, if you're thinking about it vertically, the uh, little cells face out horizontal from it. The queen cell actually faces down on the frame to accommodate its size. Uh, It's about like two times, maybe even three times bigger than just a worker bee cell. Mm -hmm. And they feed her a special type of food. 
Uh, it's called Royal Jelly. You might have heard of it. Um, it's mm -hmm. like a lot of health food stores sell it. Mm -hmm. um, and most worker bees get a, like a little bit of it at the beginning of their lives. Queen bee, though, is fed it her entire life. So how you really make a queen is the size of cell that she grows up in, basically, um, and what she's fed. That could be a lucrative industry right there, eh, Jake? Is just growing queens, right? Yeah, that is very valuable. A lot of that's big money because uh, usually beekeepers who run forty to fifty thousand hives, which are very big, need to usually requeen, put a new queen in because they they run out, they expire. One to two years is about their lifespan, and at the end of their lives, they start not producing like they should. So beekeepers need to put new queens in, and each queen can be you know twenty thirty dollars, and if you need to put that one queen inside each of your 40,000 hives or how many hives you have, it can be expensive very quickly. So a lot of beekeepers do it themselves, but like you said, it is very valuable. Well, your, your knowledge is extensive. So you have a website, caramelhoneycompany.com. Can you tell us, can we order online and where is your physical store? Yeah, so um, we actually have three different stores. Um, we have one in Carmel that we opened about four years ago. So in downtown Carmel, in uh, the Carmel Plaza, we have uh, one store in Monterey, which we just opened last year. It's on Carey Row. It's just um, right by the aquarium, just kind of on that, that street. And then we have one up in San Francisco in the Ferry Building. Those are our physical locations. And the only we're open seven days a week in our Carmel and Monterey stores. Uh, and up in San Francisco, uh, we're open um, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday kind of follows the farmer's market that's up there. And for COVID, you're still open? Yes. Yeah. Of course, COVID is very difficult. Um, you know, we see, and we're seeing about half the numbers of people that we saw previously, thanks to the locals uh, and the people who are really supporters of our company. We couldn't do it without them. They've been super great in um, continuing their support for us um, and for the company. And for online, if you want to find us online, you can find us at carmelhoneycompany.com uh, and you can order right there and we can ship it straight to your door. That's fantastic. How old are you, Jake? Right now I'm 18. Yeah. So do you get comments about how you were able to accomplish this much at, at such, a, such a young age? Uh, yeah, sometimes um, I do, you know, I do have people who come up to me and they're like, how are you doing this? And, you know, it's, it is a lot of work to do, but um, it's a great learning experience. You know, it's all kind of to, to better my knowledge because I'm not in, I was never in retail or bees before this, this company started and neither was my family. So I just kind of got into it and was like, you know what, let's just try this out. And luckily my family was supportive enough um, to help me get through this and better the company and uh, further expand and to just learn as much as possible. That's what I'm trying to do. And they're doing as well because they don't know how to do this stuff. They're just right along with me. So um, yeah, I do get some people who, you know, ask or my friends ask like, how, you know, how do you do this? And it's, you know, just perseverance. You're going to make mistakes, uh, but you just got to learn from those mistakes and continue moving forward. That is, so that's great. Uh, what are your so What are your plans for the future? Are you uh, Are you going to head off to college, or are you, you going to keep expanding the business? What are you thinking? 
Yeah. So uh, in the future, my plan is to definitely stick with the company and continue to try to grow uh, Carmel Hunt Company um, because you know the bees have been so good. I mean, I can't just leave them like that. I can just go off to a four-year. Um, but because you know community college is so affordable um, right now, at least I'm gonna probably stick with that and pursue other things to better myself. You know, like real estate, hospitality, a lot of other different things that I'm um, looking at taking courses in and taking classes in right now. That, wow. Good job, Jake. Um, when you get bit by bees, because obviously they get under your suit and stuff, do you get less and less um, prone to, to swelling at, over time? Or is it just as bad as the first bite as bad as the 50th bite? You know? Yeah, yeah. So um, they, they can bite, but they, they can't bite your skin, but it, they do sting, right? So I, I say bite, but that's an uneducated man's talking. There, it's yes. okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. I just want to clarify. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I got to say that not all stings are created equal. And I have a lot of stories of Sometimes they usually go for like your wrists or your ankles because that's the breaks in your suit. Um, I, you can just shrug those off. They're like, you know, they're not that big of a deal. But if they get you like, uh, I've been stung below and above my eye and my whole eye swelled shut and I still went to school the next day and everybody was like, are you okay? Do you need to go to the hospital? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I've been stung in the neck and my like abdomen. That one's hurt pretty bad. But yeah, so not all stings are the same. Uh, and I definitely have not Built, built up an immunity to it. It still hurts. It definitely is. Uh, and of course, I don't want the bees to sting me because when they sting, they die. They don't want to sting me. You know, in, in the best case scenario, none of that even happens. And I'm able to just get in, help the bees and get out. And that's my goal. So in a given period of time, what, what is your production generally like? Yeah. So it's not, it's not always consistent. The, you know, the bees are always changing and it really is like farming. You do have like livestock. So every year is different depending on when the rain comes. Um, if you get a, a, a nectar flow or not, but each hive uh, produces like 60 to 70 pounds of honey if it's a good nectar flow. So the, I, I, I don't even have a number for total of what we produced, but uh, it's part of it. And, you know, I'm really proud of uh, the bees and what I've been able to do and the people that I've been able to sell to. It just is a great feeling when you sell um, one of your products to somebody and you know that they're going to go home and use it and enjoy it. And it's just it's different from just going to the grocery store and just buying a random product. You don't really appreciate it everything that had to go on to make that product you know on your dinner table get it to your dinner table very great well you're you're an incredible success story and i'm glad all of the uh, local press you get um i've saw, seen some of the awards you've won from uh, young entrepreneurs and things like that so congratulations and best to you and your family on your continued success and health uh so great job jake and uh, thanks for coming on the program yeah thank you all right again jake's website is carmelhoneycompany.com i'm paul wyant owner of express employment professionals of Monterey County. If you need good people, give us a call, 831-920-1230. And this is What's the Plan on Central Coast Power Talk, 1460 AM and 101.1 FM. After the break, we'll be back with Richard Bates of the Fire Safe Council of Monterey with tips and advice on how to protect yourself, your family, and your home from the perpetual cycle of California wildfires. Stay tuned. One 
company is on a mission to put a million people to work each year. Sounds like a big number, doesn't it? Not to express employment professionals. We take pride in connecting the right people with the right company. Express Employment Professionals is on a mission to put a million people to work each year. Let us help. We'll open doors for you. For great employees, call Monterey County Express Employment Professionals, 831-920-1230. That's 831-920-1230. All right, let's get back to more of What's the Plan with your host, Paul Wyant, right here on Power Talk 1460 and 101 FM. All right. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Our next guest is Richard Bates. He's a board member with the Fire Safe Council of Monterey County. You can learn more about Richard and the Fire Safe Council at firesafemonterey.org. Richard, thanks for coming on the program. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tell us about your history in Monterey County and with the Fire Safe Council. Uh, I I'm, have been involved with the Fire Safe Council through work for coming out two years. Then I was asked or approached by the Fire Safe Council in the spring of this year to join the council. And then in June, became a director on the board of directors. That's great. Can you tell us about some of your experience with fire protection and some of your knowledge, maybe your education? My, my education, I actually was uh, grew up and was educated on the East Coast to Long Island University, where I have a, uh, a BS in biology and a Bachelor of Arts in chemistry, which I hadn't really utilized for a while. But after relocating to Carmel, I guess it's been about 13 years ago, uh, I have an individual who's, who's a family friend who has a contracting business who is involved in home hardening, defensible space, came a, a dealer for an external sprinkler s- suppression system. And my involvement in the fire protection began four years ago when I was at the Carmel High School with my son. And off in the distance was the beginning of the Sobranes fire. And so I have a very vivid image of my son on the fence as we were watching trees just explode into fire. And in becoming uh, so endeared to this area and my son now hopefully being able to reside in this community for his near and long-term future, I wanted to do what I could to protect that environment for he and his friends. That's, that's fantastic. The closer you get to the ocean, the, we do kind of tend to forget about wildfires because we don't think we're as susceptible. But can you talk a little bit about uh, the susceptibility to some of these areas to wildfires and any recent heightenings in the wildfire uh, danger? Well, you know, the, that marine layer that we sometimes love and, and often curse tends to give us somewhat of a false sense of protection. But as we saw with the CZU complex fire up in Santa Cruz and Davenport, which is right on the ocean, if things dry out enough or if the fire is severe enough, that moisture in the atmosphere can be evaporated very quickly. And there are three components to a wildfire fuel, oxygen, and ignition. And if the fuel is dry enough and there is ignition, anything will burn. And then, of course, as you go further away from the ocean and you lose that, the protection of the, of the marine layer, things dry out even sooner and quicker. And as we've seen with, you know, the, the recent Carmel fire, the river fire, they become very severe events very quickly. So can you tell a little bit about the Fire Safe Council and what they're doing to help homeowners and residents prepare for uh, for fires in the future? Certainly. Amongst the, the resources 
on the Fire Safe Council for Monterey County website are various resources for defensible space, home hardening, evacuation procedures. One of the more prominent outreach components that we have now is the FireWise USA program. Uh, it's a nationwide, nationwide program, a uh, joint effort between the National Fire Protection Agency and state departments of forestry, the U.S. Department of Interior on steps that a community can take to reduce their wildfire risk. FireSafe Monterey org. You can go there and learn more. Also, firesafemonterey.org has some free Zoom workshops that local homeowners can attend. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those programs? Certainly. One is a workshop for Firewise USA. There is also a recent addition to the lineup, which is a Wildfire in You, which is uh, a joint effort through Listos, California, through the SERV program and the Fire Safe Council for Monterey, aimed particularly at elderly and disabled individuals, but the information applies to all individuals who are in areas where there is a risk of wildfire, which as we're learning now is all of California. Absolutely. There was recently a show on 60 Minutes and they they interviewed a, I think he might've been a chief or he was very high up in Cal Fire and they asked him point blank if all of California could burn. And his, his answer was Frank, yes, he thought all of California could and at some point might burn. So nowhere in California really are we immune to the wildfire threat. As homeowners, what are some really basic things that we can do? If if they can't attend the workshop, obviously that's a great thing to do. But what are some basic things that a homeowner can do just to kind of plan for the worst? Well, at first, you know, if you're a homeowner and looking at your property, it can be a daunting task. The common knowledge of 100 feet of defensible space. Most people looking out from their backyards look out and see 100 feet and don't know where to start. The most important place to start is with the foundation of your home and in the first five feet from that foundation. And removing or minimizing anything that is combustible within that first five feet. And that first five feet is critical. Mm -hmm. So things like leaves and debris that blow from the wind for pine trees, things that collect in your gutter, stacks of firewood. And that that requires people to look at their home from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. The majority of wildfires are started by windblown embers or firebrands or slow-moving ground fires. And... There's a saying that where the wind blows, fire goes. So in those areas where those types of pine needles and leaves and things like that accumulate around your home, if there's a fire event, the wind is going to blow embers and give those an opportunity to ignite. Now, if I'm a homeowner and I've owned my home for a while and I'm going to do some improvements maybe to the siding or even internally to some of the fire alarm systems or the roofing, are there any general rules or simple things that you can do if, if you do need to replace your siding, roofing, or, or something in the interior to uh, help out with fire? I'm not in the construction trade, mm-hmm. so I don't want to get too specific, but any improvements that can be made to upgrade materials, mm-hmm. such as from a wood shake roof to a class A fire resistant roof mm-hmm. can be made. But, you know, replacing a roof, replacing a siding are expensive events. Mm-hmm. Looking around your roof and your siding 
look for those areas where there are ledges, where there are, you know, around a window. If there are areas where the caulking has fallen, has fallen off or there's gaps, mm -hmm. those are places where embers and firebrands can collect. And, you know, truth be told, if you have the most fire protective roof and there are gutters filled with pine needles, if they collect in an ignition event, a starts, that could cause the roof to ignite beneath mm -hmm. the roofing material. It's on the, on the plywood, yeah, sure. Yeah, and the plywood and the eaves, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, eaves are, you know, another source of, could be problematic, and the vents, mm. you know, looking at the vent. Are the vents one-eighth inch screening versus a quarter inch? Mm. You know, that's that will significantly reduce your fire risk because a one-eighth inch ember doesn't have the mass to ignite uh, materials. Great, great advice. Now, last uh, last question, um, and then I guess I can open it up for any comments you'd like, is what about evacuation plans? And so if I live in Carmel Valley, obviously I'm going to need a different plan than if I live in downtown Monterey on Alvarado Street or something. But can you talk a little bit about evacuation plans and what kind of things people should have in mind when they're, when they're talking about a wildfires approaching and, and what things should we think about beforehand? Well, in, in evacuation, as, as with any emergency, preparation is a major concern. And as I'm gaining experience in this industry, as I'm visiting more and more communities in Carmel, Carmel Valley, I am really becoming amazed at how many communities are one way in. Mm -hmm and one way out. So having an evacuation plan and practicing that evacuation plan beforehand are critical. And on the FireSafe Monterey Org website, there are a number, a number of resources, one of which is Ready, Set, Go, and having those things necessary in, you know, they call them a bug out bag or it's a go bag, having all those items that you need, you know, they, they commonly refer to the six P's, personal item, papers, plastic, prescriptions, all of those things that you need. Previously, it was recommended for two to three days, but more realistically, a week or two is probably probably a safer for way to go. FiresafeMonterey.org, it's just a treasure trove of um, information for folks if they want to learn more. So Richard, again, thank you for appearing to, or coming on the show today. Um, is there anything else uh, you'd like to add that maybe I forgot to ask? Yeah, I would like to, you know, as I said, it's, it's a daunting task and it's, it's very easy to get discouraged looking at the magnitude of what might need to be done around someone's home. But in doing it in smaller incremental levels. And I would, I would advise people to walk around their house with a different perspective, not as a homeowner, but as the fire and the embers and the firebrands on where they would go. And the other thing that I would also recommend people is if there isn't a fire event and Cal Fire or the fire department does need to commit to a neighborhood, they have limited assets. And so also look at your home from the perspective of the firefighter. And if there are a number of homes on a street and one home has created some defensible space and cleared that debris and those, those combustible materials around their house versus a home that hasn't, you know, they have to do somewhat of a triage and look at a, look at a street, look at the residences on those homes that they have a better chance of protecting. So they are going to protect, obviously their desire is to protect all the homes, 
But if they're limited in resources, which they often are, they have to go through triage. So making your home more fire resistant to begin with also gives the firefighters a better opportunity to save your home should they be called upon. That's fantastic advice. Thanks again, Richard. Again, the the website is firesafemonterey.org. I encourage everybody to go out there and uh, have a look at that. And is there anything else, anywhere else that people might go? uh Like I said, one of our major outreach programs is the Firewise USA. So if they go to Firewise USA or the National Fire Protection Association, NFPA, Uh, it is a nationwide program. It only requires a minimum of eight homes within a community to become FireWise recognized. Mm. And it can be as many as 2,500 homes. So it's for communities large and small. And um, we commonly hear that we try to create 100 feet of defensible space around our homes. Mm -hmm. But that's all well and good. But if your neighbor is only 30 feet away, and you've done what you can, and your neighbor hasn't. So it really becomes paramount that we look at not just protecting our structure, but protecting the structures in our neighborhood. And the more that the neighborhood works together, the safer the entire community becomes. Yeah. Well, well, thanks again, Richard. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Paul, for your time and the opportunity to, to speak with you. Okay. I'm Paul Wyant, owner of Express Employment Professionals of Monterey County. At Express, we find great people to help your business run smoothly. Do you really want to be working all day Saturday because your business is understaffed? Of course you don't. You want to be out golfing, watching sea otters float in the Elkhorn Slough, or any of the other great things you can only do because you live in this beautiful paradise. For additional information on how my business can help you get out from the soul-sucking fluorescent lights of your office and onto a whale watch. Watching boat. Give me a call today. 831-920-1230. Again, that's 831-920-1230. Thanks again to my guests, Mr. Jake Reisdorf of the Carmel Honey Company and Mr. Richard Bates of the Fire Safe Council from Monterey County. I'd also like to thank Mr. Mark Carbonero, the greatest producer in the business, and of course, the great Mr. Dave Marzetti, host of the Saturday morning Shagbag Radio Show right here on Power Talk. You've been listening to What's the Plan on Central Coast Power Talk, 1460 AM. 101.1 FM. Stay tuned for Business Sense Radio with Mr. Edward King up next. When I'm back on top, back on top in June, I said that's life. That's life. And as funny as it may seem, some people get their kicks stomping on a dream. The preceding was a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management.